Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new The National Blast podcast with Keenan Skelly. Join Keenan and guests as they blast you to a place that is certainly not boring, yet still giving you highlights from areas in cyber where key policies and legislation are needed, exist, but aren't enforced, or no one is even talking about it. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. Hello, everyone. It's Keenan Skelly, the host of The National Blast. And I, as always, have a wonderful, amazing, sometimes a pain, sometimes a pain guest, but one of my favorite people. I know I say that every time, but they all are. Uh, JC Vega, and we're going to have an amazing conversation. So JC, I'm going to hand it over to you for an introduction and then let's get started. Hi, everybody. I'm JC Vega. I'm the current CISO, a cloud native logging and security analytics company. That's amazing. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about your background? And, um, you know, today's topic is going to be a little bit uh, controversial between between JC and I, and we, we like to talk about all the different ways that these kinds of problems can be solved. But today we're going to look at cyber education and how it's working or how it's not working and really dig a little bit deeper into that. Now, JC, I know you have a background in education and training at West Point. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So, um, I spent almost 30 years in the military, and I say I've been doing cyber before cyber was cyber because some of the research that I was doing way back in the early 2000s, if I used the word cyber warfare, I would get censored and I would get threatened that I'd have to classify all my. I couldn't use the word cyber when we were doing some really interesting research. And so, I, like anyone in the military, you do a lot of training, and a lot of us get the opportunity to be trainers. So, I was a military trainer. Uh, on top of that, I taught at West Point. I was an instructor at the United States Military Academy of Cyber. And I had uh, my hand in how we develop curriculum for cybersecurity operators in the military. So I've been involved with it from the start by doing it, by advising on it, by implementing it and creating things that weren't there before. That's really amazing. You know, um, for everybody out there, JC and I actually had the opportunity to work together in some of that when I was with a private company that was actually providing some of that training and in coordination with both West Point and Cyber Command and others. So I've, I've been able to see up close and personal how amazing of an educator and a researcher JC is. And I'm really excited about our conversation today. So JC, do you want to uh, kick it off? Sure. So first of all, thank you for those kind words. Uh, very unnecessary, but the checks in the mail. Uh, let's, um, let's kind of start with some assumptions here, some things that we hold to be true. And that is that we rely on things that we know. And there's the idea of this law of instrument and what is that? That is where if you have a hammer, then every problem looks like a nail. And that was from Maslow. And then you also have some assumptions of how much we can learn and what's our ability to track and follow different things, our cognitive ability. And I believe it was George Miller from Harvard who said, you can do seven plus or minus two things at one time. And 
so I'm coming at this topic of education saying we have as human beings some cognitive limitations that we're, we're not going to change. We're not going to change that biology. We could improve on some things, but it's a physical, uh, biological limit. But we're also approaching this problem of cybersecurity development and training using the law of instrument with a hammer by education and training. That's how we have done it. All of us probably listening to this have been through formal education, at least K through 12, probably some advanced training, probably some advanced education. And so we know that works. And I think that's holding us back. Why, why do you think that, that what we're doing now is so wrong or so not working? So I, I won't go as far as to say it's wrong. I'm saying it's not working as effective as it should be because of all the resources we're putting into it. It should have, we, we should have seen measurable uh, differences and improvements in our discipline. And what do I mean by that? The number of uh, talent shortage that we have in our discipline is continuously growing where it was in the thousands. Now it's in the millions across the globe. And we have put in so much effort into training, so much effort into education. There are entire cybersecurity programs that have started uh, that I've seen spin up. And so there's a lot more available out there, but yet the demand is still outpacing the supply. And, and that gap is growing. So if it works or if it was working, we would be that, that gap would be getting smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, I, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And uh, for those of you listening who know me, I, I've been in the um, education and uh, cybersecurity training and awareness space for a little bit. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I always get on my soapbox about is that we're not really getting to the broader public in terms of the importance of cybersecurity. And we don't really know how to do that well. I mean, there's lots of things out there that, um, you know, talk about training kids to do this and training kids to do that. And if we look at what other countries are doing, we look at, you know, CyberStart in the UK, we look at um, Israelis who are actually training their students at eight years old to securely code. If you look at that versus what we're doing in the US, we spend a lot of time doing, you know, kind of basic coding concepts and ideas, and we don't really drive home that that whole bigger picture of cybersecurity. And personally, I think that's a failure, uh, you know, of our country in general is that we're not taking it serious enough that every single person interacts with cybersecurity every single day. And if they don't have a 101 about what they're doing, then we're failing already. And on top of that, then they get a little bit older and they they start to do something like a cyber patriot and they start to learn and they start to do this and maybe they go into the military. But that learning journey is never finished. It's never finished. You have to keep learning. So how how does the paradigm that you're thinking of in terms of technology really pushing us forward? How does that affect that lifelong learning process? So there's a couple of things that we have to just review here. And let's talk about the Levitt diamond. The Levitt diamond is a a structure uh, or a model that talks about four different 
elements that if you change one, you change them all. And it's a dependency. It's an ecosystem. And that's the, the structure, technology, people, and tasks. And, and many of you have seen it. You can't just change one because it impacts all of them. Yep. Well, we've changed structure. Uh, the cybersecurity professional exists now. It didn't exist when I started my career. The position of CISO, Chief Information Security Officer, didn't exist. And now it does. You have now BISOs, Business Information Security Officers. So the structure has changed. We have curriculums now. That structure is there. We have tasks. We know what has to be done. We have technology, which has got us into this predicament that we're in now, is we're using different tools to work on computers and computers to make them secure. And then we have people. And people is where you, you develop the talent. We're focusing a lot on people. And these shift around. And it, it's time that we take that shift off of people. There's plenty of examples that I can give you that you just talked about, the Israelis, how, how they teach. Uh, we can go into these super duper programs that how they teach and they can uh, transfer knowledge to one another. But then you get an issue of scale and who are uh, who are we training and can we train more than just the average? Can the average be put in a situation where they are cyber smart and cyber secure? And what I'm saying right now, the argument I'm making is that no. And not because it can't be done. I'm saying because if everything we've invested so far, you would see that we were getting there. But the argument now, is we're not there. I ask you a question. And I think, um, you know, a lot of people who are responding to threats right now, a lot of the, the threat hunters and the, the big companies who are spending a lot of time looking at this would argue that the, the competition, the bad guys are perfect than, um, you know, than the amount of people that we have. And that's why that number keeps getting higher because the number of attacks keeps getting higher and higher and higher. And so it's a almost a supply and demand in terms of training versus actual incident response. Well, I, I think there's, a, you have a valid point there. Uh, but using our, our military background, which we both have here, we used to say that it was a three to one ratio of uh, success to failure on the offense and defense for a, a good defense could protect against three aggressors. If you had the time to prepare for that, the ratio in cybersecurity is wholly in favor of the aggressor. Oh, definitely. <laughs> so the idea is I'm going to train those people, the defenders to protect against that when the aggressor has the, uh, an advantage, an unsurmountable advantage. Uh, many, many reasons why. But the point is, in, in the military, we have the, this concept of three to one, and a good defense can protect against three aggressors. So I can have one organization, one person defend against three, or 10 people defend against 30, or, or three organizations defend against, you know, times three, the, the aggressors. That model in cybersecurity doesn't exist because the aggressor has a, a significant advantage to the defender. He only has to, he or she only has to be correct once. And that can be by chance. And our systems, why that is, we can get into, into that. 
But and especially, idea- I just want to tag on a little piece to this, especially now that they've learned that they can work together. They've learned that they can create ransomware corporations and businesses just like all crime, you know, syndicates eventually do. So it's it's exponentially getting worse. No, and, and that's a great point. And so my, my thesis here is that we're not going to train our way out of this. We're not going to develop our people, our talent to defeat these threats. Something else has to give. And if it's not structure, which I said, we've, we've come a long way, mm-hmm. the tasks, uh, we know how to defend I'd say we have to focus on the technology. Now, there's two arguments here. One, we have to reduce the complexity of the technology. We have to reduce the complexity of this ecosystem of cybersecurity. By reducing the complexity, we can bring the average individual with average training and make marry them up with the tools so that they could be better defenders. Right now, the average defender, there's no such thing as an entry-level cybersecurity job. There isn't. Oh, yeah, but that, that's, that's a big part in, in the company or the industry in general saying that an entry-level has to have 15 certifications plus five years of experience plus, 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 plus. That's an unrealistic expectation. If you want to get entry-level people, you do it like some of the larger companies are doing now. And you say, I don't care if you have a degree. I don't care if you have 15 certifications, but I'm going to put you through a very rigorous technical you know, interview. And if you make it, if you're hungry enough, if you really want this and you show and demonstrate skill, then we will train you how to do everything else. But right oh, now, Ian, you know, you're, falling, see- you're falling right into my web. <laughs> What, what I'm telling you, what, what the argument I'm making is training isn't going to get us out of this. And you just gave a good argument on how training can get us out of this. I'm saying it's fundam- this is a fundamental flaw in our model is that training isn't going to get us through this. Okay. It's I that we- okay. Tell me more. Tell me more about the, the technology and how that's going to fix it. So the idea of making the tech technology, first of all, safe by default, fail safe, and making it to where the training doesn't have to be extraordinary. Again, the average person can come in here and do that and operate in this space safely within their role. Right now, we are expecting people to use the analogy of a transportation uh, system. We're expecting to be uh, pilots to be aeronautical engineers or drivers of trucks to be uh, uh, automotive engineers. We're not expecting them just to be able to drive. When you get into those vehicles, using the car, for example, you don't need to know how ABS works. Mm -hmm. That's the the automatic braking system is going to work automatically. You don't have to know how airbags work. It's going to work automatically. You don't have to know how seatbelts work. All you need to know is how to click it. You don't have to check the tensile strength of the seatbelt. All of these things are factored into the environment for you. 
And let's get on top of that. You got the regulation, you got licensing, you got training, you have law enforcement, and then you have your neighbor who's checking on people who aren't driving safely and reporting your kids. And so all these different things that are occurring in cybersecurity, it's the wild west. We are pre-Henry Ford uh, days when it comes to the instrumentation and the technology. And so we could improve that. We can improve the technology to make it easier for the operator and easier to train the average user, but we're not there yet. So you said something earlier and it, it, it reminded me of this whole concept of the military and training in general, right? Um, you said everything can be fail safe for the user, right? And what that means generally for the rest of us who've been in the, the military, the army is make it Joe proof. Any, anyone can actually just do it without failing, but that's not necessarily true in technology because technology is so much more advanced and complicated that, you know, absolutely. If, if I go back to my, my EOD background and we talk about like Albert Einstein trying to make a nuclear weapon safe enough that basic, that scientists, basic scientists could be fail safe in it, that he was unsuccessful. And every time we do this as, you know, a culture, as humanity, we come up with technologies that we throw out and we try to make them fail safe, but ultimately they're not, and they never will be. So Saying that, you know, that creating a technology architecture and a reality where it's safe enough for any Joe to do it is, is, in my opinion, not necessarily realistic because we are asking for advanced level of skill. We are asking you to know something more than just somebody who drives the car. I totally agree with you on that, Keenan. That, that is, uh, it's a very, very valid point. And I don't want you to twist my words around like you sometimes do. <laughs> uh, this is not a, mat a, a issue of uh, zero fault or error proof. This is managing acceptable risk. And what is that acceptable risk? What I just described to you using the vehicle analogy, uh, it's that we have this entire infrastructure, but if you look at it, we insure our vehicles, we insure our drivers, which costs a lot of money. The vehicle itself costs a lot of money, and we want to buy the safest vehicle we can normally, and that has uh, its challenges. But in the end, for young drivers, it's their number one cause of death. So I am not telling you that or arguing that it's fail safe completely without risk. I, I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that there's an acceptable risk and it's so acceptable that we will put our, our most cherished possession, our teenage children behind a car, a steering wheel and celebrate it because we and believe yet, that- And yet that child, your prized possession had to be trained on how to use that vehicle. But they didn't have to know how to build it. They didn't have to know how, again, how the ABS system worked. They didn't have to know how airbags work. They didn't have, the only thing they had to learn really how something worked was how to connect the Bluetooth. Everything so else. Let's, let's turn is, that into is, a cyber analogy. So if we're talking about like an entry level, let's say tier one, maybe tier two kind of cyber analyst. 
I agree. They don't need to know everything, which is why there is a hierarchy of learning and experience, because especially in cybersecurity, experience means a lot. Um, but we have this tier one, tier two kind of individual. And no, they don't know how to take apart the entire machine and they don't know everything that's happening on the network, but they know just enough to say, hey, this doesn't look right. So if we start thinking about it that way, are we now saying that we don't want to train that level one person to continue to be more and more skilled? It's kind of like saying that a doctor only ever needs to be, you know, doing a residency and never progresses to a doctor because technology will do it better. No, I'm not saying that at all. Uh, what, what I am saying is that you have had these uh, systems that have evolved and they have taken the, the challenges out of our, our hands and we've invested in technology that makes it easier for you to do. When I, when I was in a teenager, uh, one of the jobs I had required me to have first aid and CPR training. And when I was a lifeguard, I had to have first aid and CPR training. And the last CPR training class I had, uh, which was probably now about a decade ago, they one of the core concepts was how to use the uh, AED machine. Mm -hmm. Okay. I didn't have that before. And now those are everywhere. So you don't have to really know CPR anymore. Like I did, you could go there, turn it on and it will verbally give you instructions on what to do and do it better than I could have ever done for, to provide CPR. That's the example I'm giving is that the technology has met us partway there to be able to save that life. And you'll probably get a better rate of success than I would doing CPR manually. Now, Good when point. it comes to the mechanics right now, uh, when I was learning to drive, it's one of those core competencies that you had to know something about how the car worked. You know, I remember the timing on a carburetor. I remember changing tires. I remember doing all those things. Oil. And now... I would advise you don't do those things because one, they don't have carburetors anymore. And two, it's too dangerous to change a tire when there's AAA or other, I'm not endorsing any particular <laughs> company, but there are services out there that will do it for you. And many are on, on the major highways are there to provide it as a courtesy service because it's they know it's going to happen and someone's going to be able to fix that for you right on the spot. The ecosystem has adapted to that. Uh, a mechanic today in the military, a tier one, level one mechanic, they do not, they are not taught how to fix engines. They are taught to remove the four bolts, drop the engine, put a new engine in and connect all the different wires and tubes and hoses and all of that. They are not, the, the fixing of an engine is done at tier three level. That's going to get me on a whole other soapbox about how we as Americans, especially in society and humanity have like, we totally don't know how to fix things anymore. We just, something breaks and we're like, oh, let's buy a new one. It's insane. Like your TV can be fixed. Your computer can be fixed. Your engine can be fixed. Your deck can be fixed. Things can be fixed. You don't just have to automatically go to replacing them, but I'll save that for another episode. Please go ahead. But in cybersecurity, is my goal to make it the space secure or to turn everyone into a cybersecurity warrior? Because right now we're trying to turn everyone into a cybersecurity warrior. Oh, man. And, 
I'm saying let's change the paradigm to where you're operating in the same space, in a safe space where I could expect the average person to do what's expected of them and they will be safe. The example of where I agree with that. I totally agree with that, except that I'm I'm not saying we should make everybody a cyber warrior because that's not it's just simply impossible and not true. I'm saying we should make everybody cyber aware since this is such a big part of everyone's life. And if additional training is needed or or desired, that they have options out there. But I also agree with you that there is technology that should be coming out of this. So what kind of technology would you really be looking toward to, to help knock this the, these numbers down and, and help change this paradigm? Well, it's technology that brings together many inputs and provides a interface, a user interface. This goes to you know the basic human computer interface that makes the individual aware of the challenges that they're facing in a way that they can actually manage it. I'm sure you remember way back when, when your antivirus would pop something up and say, this is bad. And then you dig into it. It's like, I don't even know what, what it's telling me. It's just telling me it's bad, but I, I don't know what to do about this. Right. Thank but you now, for quarantining that thing for me that I can't understand in any way, shape or form. Yay. Right. And maybe I needed that, uh, but who knows? But the idea of being able to provide interfaces that are within the ability of training someone who's, you know, average or a little better than average. But right now we're looking for people who are 10 times better than, than average. And they're a hot commodity. If I reduce that demand, I can reduce the training requirement. And what I am arguing here is as we are spending a lot of money, I just heard CISA awarded another million dollar grant for some education and training. And I know there are foundations that, you know, boards that I sit on that we award million dollar grants uh, for training and education. If we focused on some different challenges, perhaps we would get more return on that because we're not going to educate and train our way out of that. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be training. I'm all for training until we fix this. But we're, we can't expect that training is going to fix this paradigm. You know, I, there's so many things that you just said that I agree with, but I, I have a question. You know, if we're looking at this from uh, maybe a whole of government or a whole of society, a, a whole of humanity kind of perspective, then what is it? What is the ask, right? So right now, if we just talk about technical cybersecurity training. Uh, it, it's difficult for a lot of different reasons. It's difficult because there's 50 million types of vendors out there with 50 million types of tools. And I say that as a vendor of a tool that we're asking for something to come out of, out of thin air or out of research or out of grant funding or out of what to help eliminate that problem. Well, what does that do to the economy of the cybersecurity business? And how do we deconflict those things? How do we say, okay, we're going to do at a government level uh, at, with legislation and funding, we're going to do research on how to take this problem and 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 really throw some technology at it. Meanwhile, um, meanwhile, in the hall of justice, sorry, I had to do that. <laughs> meanwhile, we have uh, an entire industry that's based around selling you random tools and which may or may not be appropriate for you. So how does that kind of pan out in, in the way that you think this should go? 
Well, and as a vendor myself, I am not advocating that we should get rid of all of our tools and that there's no use for them. On the contrary, you know, we're, we're locked into this situation and we still have to fight the good fight and you have to get the tools that are going to serve your purpose. And those that are working on reducing that complexity, those that have a, a broader view of the threats that are out there and that can present it to you in a way that makes it actionable, you need to continue to do that. Uh, what I would say is that we do have to invest as a society in the next generation, the that which will replace our current uh, environment. I don't know what that is, but the idea that the current state and using the Kuhnian model here is we have the normal science where everything just makes sense. Then you get model drift where things don't start to align anymore. Then you get into model crisis and then all of a sudden something new comes about and then you have a whole new set of rules. We wouldn't be arguing about this if we weren't in a crisis. Absolutely. And so I agree. How long are we going to argue about how to train people better when at scale, we are not improving. I would say we have to start investing in that revolution, start looking for that revolution. Some of that is basic research. And the private sector is not necessarily the group that is going to invest in uh, that basic research because it's, it's driven by profit. Absolutely. But academia and government is one that could because it's driven by the greater good. That doesn't mean all these things cannot coexist, but in the current state, when it comes to education and training, I believe we're doubling down on training more people and we have yet to see success. So if this was a business as a whole and we'd say, you know, fail fast, at what point do we pull the plug? This is really amazing insight. You know, it, when you start thinking about education from a longtime educator's point of view, and, and um, you know, we do this in business, just like you said, the fail fast. But we've, as Americans, and I think as especially folks in information security, we keep looking at this problem and we keep going at different ways. We keep trying to understand human beings better so that we can make the world better for them so that we can make things easier for them. But it does seem like every time we throw technology at a problem, we don't look at the true security uh, second and third order effects of that. So one of my concerns when we start talking about you know, the research that goes into having technology be so user-friendly that we also do it like sometimes the government does, like really fast and very complicated with all of these different moving parts that may or may not work um, and then have them implemented and then brought back again. And I, I fear the process of the government involvement in the research. I think academia definitely should be a part of that. But I keep thinking in my mind, you know, on the show, we talk about legislation and policy and all of these things a lot. And we brought up a lot about uh, CISA getting funded, um, some more money to go towards education and training. So 
how do we, how do we look at all of the things that we're talking about? Cause we're not talking about just one piece of this education and training is just one tiny part of the whole cybersecurity infrastructure and what we're trying to do in terms of staying safe as a nation. So how do we make sure that whoever is going to take this problem on or should take this problem on, that they're going to have enough information from all of the other pieces that it's going to make sense? Well, one of, the, one of the points that I'm arguing here is that the approach we're taking now isn't garnering the results that we would expect. And so, again, I'm not against training. I'm not against education. You know, I, I came up oh, through yeah. it. But the idea of finding, investing in that replacement for the current uh, system is something that we should really look at. And that goes back to understanding the fundamental problem. So let me just say this here real quick. If, as I believe, the conceptual structures we construct today are too complicated to be accurately specified in advance and too complex to be built faultlessly, then we must take a radically different approach. I'm reading that today, but that was Fred Brooks in 1995, one of the legends and software found fathers of software engineering in the, in the mythical man month. And the idea that this was identified over 25 years ago. And we still haven't gotten there yet. And we still haven't gotten there. How long are we going to keep going down this path? And how much, uh, how much resource and money and time and effort do we keep throwing at it, knowing that we're just not getting what we need? Right. And so I'm laying the groundwork here and uh, others who uh, are in position of influence, we speaking with them, is that we as a community have to take on this charge because the it's not going to come from academia, from education. It might come from research uh, institutions, but the idea is that we have to start having this argument. We have to start having this discussion because I hope that in my lifetime, we will get to a secure state. But if we're continuing down the current path, there's no end in sight. This is such a great topic. I, I love this. I could actually... I could talk to you for hours about this because it's such a complicated problem and it's so, you know, integrated into all of the other issues that we talk about on the show a lot. Um, you know, requirements that are, are thrown out for people who are cybersecurity folks who should work for the government or could work for the government. We're, we're throwing away talent because, you know, they, they smoke pot and because they're, they're, they're hackers. <laughs> um, so there's a, there's a whole of culture shift that has to happen here that is both, I think, recognizing that there is talent out there. It just needs to be cultivated and accepted. But at the same time, it cannot be this, you know, you have to have a doctorate in order to understand how to be a level one defender. And I think that's where what you're talking about in terms of technology and research and augmentation is really important and valuable. It all has to come together. And it has to, it has to be able to fit. And right now it doesn't fit. They're, they're not keeping up with one another. You have, if you look at uh, a day in the life of a SOC analyst, they're burnt out 
Oh yeah. Uh, if you look at uh, the average uh, span for a uh, CISO in a, in, in a position is, you know, 18 to 20, 24 months yep. uh, because they're rotating out. They take vacations uh, in between jobs and yet they're all still highly employable. Knock on wood on that <laughs> one. And, and the idea of that this kind of turmoil exists leads me to my point of we're in a modeling, our, our model is in crisis. That, that is so profound. And I'm not even kidding. <laughs> like the whole concept of this conversation, you know, as, uh, as JC and I've been talking about it is, you know, we have, we come from different points of view when it comes to education and training, but at the end of the day, I, I totally agree with you in terms of, we have to change the model. We have to change the paradigm because it's not working. So whatever that means in terms of short-term education and training goals that could help or that should be doing better until we get to a point where we have that kind of technology that does all of those things. We are coming up on possibly my longest podcast and I'm not cutting any of it because this is such a great conversation. JC, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I look forward to having more and more conversations about this specific topic with you because I think that that is what's going to solve this problem, right? Continuing to talk about it, continuing to, to debate about it, continuing to have multiple people from different points of view come in and say, okay, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? This is a systemic problem and it's not something that's going to go away tomorrow. So we need the best and the brightest minds looking at this and, and truly trying to figure out what's happening. I, I agree with you. And we don't know where that solution, where that next model is going to come from. Uh, you know, you've heard me talk about that. We didn't invent the internet and we didn't invent computer science that we discovered it and it's already existed in biology and in and, and nature. And the idea that where is this going to come from? We got to be open to, to, to that discussion, because if we knew we would have figured it out already. So yeah. we don't have an answer. All we have right now is we know it's not working and we know we need lots of people to be looking at the problem and trying to figure it out together. Yeah. And we, hopefully we could agree on the problem, but I don't know. If, <laughs> I, don't know I, I don't know if that's universal. It's yeah, in, it's our, in our field. It, it's complicated. There's a lot of things that are, that aren't universal that are in other disciplines. So that, 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 again, that tells me that the model's in crisis. So anyway, thanks for having me. Yeah. If, for everybody who's listening, you know, if, if this is something you're interested in that you want to get involved in, if you'd like to, you know, provide comments or anything, please just reach out, you know, Keenan at nationalblast.com. You 30 years of his life. It's been the last 15 years of my life. And and if we can figure out, if we can crack this nut, it kind of changes everything in cybersecurity. So let's let's get involved. Let's figure out this problem. Let's work together to get there. Thank you, JC, again. This has been a wonderful episode. And I, I like I said before, I love talking to you about this topic. Um, so farewell, everyone, from the latest episode of The National Blast. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the National Blast podcast with Keenan Skelly. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. 
If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.